The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the new series, Self-Empathy for Writers. My name is Kristen Spencer. I am uh, a self-studied empathy expert, I would say. Uh, I've been through a lot of emotional learning in the last 10 years, and I know you might be thinking, but Kristen, this is a podcast about writing. I don't understand why we need to go through a course that's all about emotional health. And I would say this, you need it because writing is rough and it takes a lot of fortitude. And also, if you want to write emotionally healthy characters, which I would advocate for, uh, then you need to understand what emotional health looks like. And listen, I'm not supposing that you don't, but I want to frame it in a writerly kind of way for you so that you understand when you're just not having empathy for yourself as a writer. Okay? Is that all right? Sorry, I needed to drink. My lips were like stuck together. Uh, I I think that we need to do this. I need to do this. I have to do like a mental checklist and go through this list several times a year. And I thought this time when I'm doing it, I'll just take you along with me because you're a writer. You know how crazy it is. So to start this series, though, we need to uh, establish what definitions we're using for these different terms. So what does self-empathy mean and why do writers need it? So empathy by itself is the ability to comprehend and experience the emotions of another. Self-empathy is diagnosing our feelings and understanding why we have them. And when we employ self-empathy, we can then act on our emotions in a productive and healthy way. So uh, if you don't know what empathy is, now you do because I just explained it. It's, it's when we can look at someone else and say, hey, that's their experience. Those are their, their emotions. Maybe those are not the emotions I would have if I was going through the same thing, but I understand them and I'm going to validate those feelings. And so uh, empathy exists only when selfishness is removed or self-imposed thinking is removed to where I'm like, well, I do things this way, so you should do things this way. That there's no empathy there, okay? <laughs> but then you're like, well, Kristen, if I'm going outside of my own perspective, how can I have self-empathy? And here's the thing. Here's the trick. Are you ready? You have to think about yourself from someone else's perspective in order to have empathy. And the way that I personally do that is I think, if this person was a client, what would I tell them? 
Would I yell at them for writing a crappy sentence? No, I would help them restructure. I would tell them, get the pertinent information, put it in another file, delete that sentence, and then rewrite it. And so then I can tell myself that without beating myself up for writing something that's not super amazing on the first draft. So, but how, how can we diagnose our feelings? Because if we want to be able to employ self-empathy, first we need to understand what feelings we're having and then be able to look at them from a different perspective. So there are four steps in diagnosing our feelings that I have come up with. I'm reading this, uh, I'm reading these steps out of my book called uh, Motherhood is Messy, which is not up for sale yet. But when I was reading through it today, I'm like, oh man, I should copy and paste a bunch of this stuff and repurpose it just for writers instead of just for parents. So step one is determine what the stimuli, the causing action uh, is and what the emotional response is. So you need to know what's the thing that caused the emotion, okay? Step two, you need to evaluate whether you have all of the information about the stimuli. So how do I do that, though? (laughs) Well, uh, you need to remember that your perspective isn't the only perspective, and that's how you can kind of think outside of it and think about questions around the response to the stimuli. And I'm going to give you an example. So if that sounds abstract, don't worry, we're going to break it down. Um, Okay, step three, figure out what emotion you are experiencing. There are four main emotions. We have anger, uh, sadness, joy, and fear. Okay, so anything you're feeling can fit into one of those four emotions. Uh, And it It can also, you can feel more than one emotion at the same time. And step four, choose how to respond in a healthy way by either attempting communication or employing a predetermined boundary. And I just want to explain what a boundary is, okay? Boundaries serve as markers that help us understand where we start and end as individuals. These lines help us determine what we can control what we can't control, and what we shouldn't try to control, even if we could. (laughs) And I could talk about boundaries for hours because I had no boundaries growing up. I went through several abusive situations, not with Travis or any of my, you know, family, direct family, but with other people coming in and imposing their will on me. And uh, so you just need to think of boundaries as where you end and another person begins, and it has to do with personal responsibility. Okay, so if we're going to break down these steps into simpler uh, words, and this is what I came up with to explain these principles to my kids. We first, we find out, we look at all the information. Second, we try. We try to understand what's going on. And third, we reply. Okay, so I want to give you an example so that this doesn't feel so abstract. So let's say... uh, I am working on a project and I have not completed it according to the deadline that I wanted to complete it in. And uh, I'm going to lose my slot with my editor because I haven't finished it. And that's what happens. If you're working with a professional editor, they have things scheduled out six months to a year ahead of time. 
And so if you uh, if you lose your slot, you lose your deposit normally, and you have to wait uh, anywhere like from a month to 12 months or longer if you want to be able to keep that same editor. So this is like a really crappy situation that I'm finding myself in. So I really need self-empathy, okay? So let's say that that's happened. And now uh, I'm getting ready to lose my slot with my editor. There's no way that I can finish this project in time. What kind of emotions am I feeling? Well, uh, I'm probably feeling ashamed that I didn't do what I set out to do, which fits under fear, fear of how other people perceive me, basically, because I can't really uh, shame, I can't be ashamed all alone as myself, like an island of a person. So you're, I'm feeling ashamed, I'm feeling disappointed. Uh, that's also fear of what other people will think of me, by the way. And I am just going to berate myself. And I'm like, wait, stop. What's the first step? Find out. So what were the things that led to me being late on my deadline? And now I'm going to incur this physical cost of time and money. Well, uh, let's say, let's say, for example, that I suddenly realized that I needed to work, rework my whole business, which is what I'm doing right now, which is why I have not finished the time portal and why I will not finish the time portal until this year is over. And so, okay, should I be ashamed that I haven't finished it? No, something else came up. Uh, should I be disappointed that I've lost those two resources of time and money? Uh, yeah, it's okay to feel disappointment as long as I'm realizing that I made a choice that led to this consequence happening. And the choice was finish the book and push it out or focus on my business and getting storytellers the tools they need to write the stories that they want to write, which is others focused, which is something that I am very adamant about in my own personal life. I prefer to be others focused until a point, right? That's where boundaries come in, where I stop and another person begins. Uh, so when I made this choice, I was choosing not to finish my manuscript. And I can go back and look at all the information I have of why wasn't I managing my time properly? Or was I expecting too much from myself? And I can look at myself as if it was one of my clients who had passed their deadline. And I'm keeping that deposit and I'm rescheduling work. Now I have a, a gap where I can't do the work that I was going to get paid for. So I'm putting myself in another person <clears throat> person's position. So I would think how I would feel about the clients. Honestly, like when clients uh, don't turn in work, I am disappointed because I need that income usually. So when a client doesn't turn in a manuscript, yeah, I'm bummed out that I won't have that income and also that, you know, they're falling behind on their project because I know these projects mean a lot to authors. But I'm not like disappointed or angry, right? I... I have that deposit that can kind of be a little bit buffer of a buffer for me, and I'll try to uh, find some other kind of coaching work or whatever to supplement my income during that month. So now I'm going to switch back to my personal perspective where I've tried to do too much again. That's always my problem. <laughs> and I've missed the slot with my editor, uh, who is not me, because you should never edit your own stuff. And I'm going to just realize that, okay, that money is gone. 
but hopefully I'll make up for the deposit I had to leave and uh, I'm gonna write my my editor a nice apology note and try to float her some extra work uh, for coaching that month because coaching you don't have to schedule as far out as you do editing especially uh developmental editing because that takes a lot of staring at the screen and thinking and trying to figure out where your uh, client could make the story better. Copy editing and line editing is also time consuming, but um, it's not the same amount of investment. And that's why developmental editing, aka novel coaching is more exper- is more expensive. But if I could just get like a client for story starter coaching, whatever, I'm going to try my best to make it right with the person who I've uh, not followed through on. And I'm going to give myself some empathy, understanding that I'm feeling sad because I haven't finished the thing, but then I'm going to go back and look at my systems and realize I didn't really set myself up for success because I was trying to do too much. And uh, I'm not going to shame myself. I'm not going to go through the spiral of disappointment. I'm going to find out. And obviously there was some problem with my personal scheduling and I wasn't thinking like a a rational person who only has so many hours a day. And then I'm going to, I'm going to try to make things right within my own mind and my own thinking emotionally. And also with the person who uh, I've disregarded their time and I made a mistake as far as that. And then I'm going to reply to myself and say, self, you need to come up with a better scheduling system and not uh, have so many things come up that can uh, derail you if you're going to be working on a writing project. So that's how I would give myself um, some self-empathy in that situation where I would think through things. And also, I wouldn't expect the person who's on the other end uh, to make things better for me by telling me, oh, it's okay, and I I wasn't really depending on that income or... Uh, you know, uh, you here have your deposit back because that's a boundary that I don't want to cross over because I'm responsible for my own stuff as far as it goes with them. They don't need to go above and beyond to try to fix the situation that I've created. Just like I wouldn't need to go above and beyond to fix the situation they've created. Let's say, for example, if they had overbooked people and now they're running late on uh, giving back manuscripts and they have to discount the manuscripts that they're editing because everybody's deadline is blown. So that's what you can do with boundaries to make sure you understand where you start and stop and someone else starts and stops. So as we're going through this journey together, understanding how to employ self-empathy for writing, we're going to go over uh, five specific things. We're going to go over kindness, honesty, evaluation, longevity, and managing expectations, because those are areas I feel all writers struggle. And this is a really great, um, this is a series where we're exploring how self-empathy can make these areas better. And I feel like in addressing these five uh, things, self-empathy is going to be the factor that creates a more healthy emotional experience for you and for me, uh, who are both writers. So that's it for today. I'm excited to get into kindness in our next episode. And remember, 
Uh, it is never too late to write the story of your heart, and also give yourself a break. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>